Hey there, Cremaholics. It is your host, Kenzie, and I am back this week with a new episode. I have been away for quite some time now, and if you follow our Instagram or you are in a Cremaholics podcast group on Facebook, I did explain today where I have been and why I am back, and I'm starting to get back in the groove of things. And today I have a really special episode. I got to do an interview with a really incredible woman named Skylar Galloway. Skylar had reached out to Holly and I back in September and asking if we would be able to share her story. Once we found out about Skylar's story, I knew for sure I wanted to be able to sit down and talk with her. A few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to do just that, and listening to her story is extremely incredible. Skylar is a very strong, brave woman who deserves to have her story heard everywhere, so hopefully, maybe in the future, she can get some laws changed. Skylar was stalked by a man who worked in law enforcement. And I feel like when we think about stalking, we don't really think about how much damage it can cause and how big of an impact that it can leave on somebody's life. I myself have dealt with a stalking situation when I was a teenager. And to this day, it still has left some fear in me. And that is why I wanted to share Skylar's story because not many people really do think about those kind of things. According to Safe Horizon, more than 50% of female stalking survivors and more than 30% of male stalking survivors were stalked before they were even 25 years old. Those are pretty high numbers, which means there's a lot more people out there being stalked than we really think about it. And again, I really feel like a lot of people don't take it very serious. But this is something that really does leave a long-lasting impact. I feel as though most people don't truly understand the effects of stalking unless you've experienced it firsthand. So I hope that by sharing Skylar's story with you guys that... The majority of you who have not had this type of situation will understand the effects and hopefully maybe one day we can get some laws changed regarding a stalking situation. Way back in 2014, in August of 2014, I started working at uh, this gas station. It was just like a family-owned Exxon. And it was in um, just a small town that I had grown up in, in here in Arkansas. And um, I really liked the job. The owners were really super nice. Um, I worked there from like August 2014 to I think it was like February 2016. And um, got really close with the owners, really close with my coworkers. Um, I would probably say that it was one of my very most favorite jobs. Um, at that point, I, I mean, it was my favorite job until, you know, I have, I have another job now that, that is, I would consider my favorite job. But I say that because the owners were so, so nice and so like, um, welcoming, treated you like family. I kind of viewed them as like parental figures just because that's the way that they treated all their employees was like their kids, you know, they took care of them and made sure that they were doing well in their personal life. It wasn't just like they were there to work and that was it. It was just like, 
you know, you're my employee and no personal business. It wasn't like that. And I really appreciated that, you know, and a lot of people hear uh, what I'm about to talk about. They automatically, you know, they kind of think, well, you know, like, how was your relationship with these people? You know, Um, the whole deal is, so I started working at the gas station and that's where I met Mark, who was, I guess you would call my stalker. And it's, see, it's hard for me to start at the beginning because like, I, I wasn't even aware that it was starting when it was starting. I was just working. That's all. I was just working at the gas station. Um, I was really close with my coworkers. One coworker in particular was actually his girlfriend at the time. Um, and he would come in and get coffee and that was her and his brother's wife were the owners. They were the ones who managed it, but, um, it was really in the entire family. So Mark could just come in and get like free coffee. His parents ran it before his brother ran it. And so I saw him just about every single time that I worked and, um, you know, everything was all good. I viewed him kind of like an uncle figure, you know, um, anytime that he was a police officer, anytime that I needed to, um, ask for advice on like, Hey, I'm having this issue in my personal life or, Hey, what's the law on this? Or what about this? Then he was always there to lend a helping hand or give advice about anything. And, um, like I said, I was really close. I was really close to his girlfriend. And so I would just kind of like, say, Hey, ask Mark about blah, blah, blah. And she'd ask and he'd give me an answer through her. And so whenever I left February of 2016, um, I left there because we had moved towns. Okay. So just to give you a little bit of backstory, that's what I was saying. So I was, I think I was like 19 or 20. Whenever I first started working at the gas station, um, I got married to my husband about, I think I was like 18. It was December of 2013. I was 18 at that time. No, just turned 19 at that time. And um, so I was married. I was going to the community college there in the same town, just kind of a little bit backstory. I was pregnant with our first child while I was still working at this gas station. And we had given birth to her in August of 2015. And then in February of 2016, that's whenever we moved. And we actually moved because we wanted to be closer to family to help with childcare and things like that. So we moved about 30, 45 minutes toward, um, like Batesville, Arkansas. And so whenever I moved about a month later, I started getting these emails and they were from somebody anonymous. And at first I was like, um, you know, I would just like scrolling through my, my email and I didn't know if it was legit because they would start off like a cat call and say something like, you know, complimenting on my looks. I remember one of the um, emails, I was selling LuLaRoe clothing at the time. And I remember the subject line was LuLaRoe. And this is where, this is how I was telling you about the cussing because the emails are not um, appropriate in any way. Um, But the subject line was LuLaRoe. And then on the, in the actual email, it said, I'll buy all of your LuLaRoe if you let me take it off of you. And I was like, what the heck? So, you know, scrolling through my email, I think that was like the second email that I saw. And the other one was like, you're really hot or something like that. 
And then so whenever I saw this one, because there was like one or two when I first saw them, I replied and said, who is this? Because I thought, okay, well, if it's like a scammer, they're not going to reply. So I said, who is this? And I got like almost an immediate reply. And he said, someone who thinks you're really fucking hot. And I was like, okay, this is not a scammer. You know, like they normally wouldn't reply. And if it was a scammer, most of the time they're trying to get you to go to a website or buy something or get, you know, hacked or, you know, a bug on your phone or something like that. I mean, I don't really know their goals, but ultimately it's for personal gain. Um, but they also, I felt, I felt like if it was a scammer, they wouldn't have known or even cared to know that I sold LuLaRoe clothing. How would they have known that unless they had done research? And at that point, I don't think that would have been like a scam situation. That would have been more like harassment or stalking because they were looking at my per- personal information. So I was a little bit freaked out, but when I told my husband and he and I had talked about it, um, we both kind of agreed that we would watch, but, uh, and see, you know, if we got any more emails, but we figured it was probably just somebody either playing a joke on me, like somebody that I knew, or maybe it was somebody who just like had a crush and it wouldn't amount to anything. They would just get bored because I wasn't intending on replying. I actually, I replied, um, after that and said, I'm calling the police, but then that was it for a long time. Right after that, he was apologetic. It wasn't like that. And I just really, I'm just really attracted to you. And, you know, like, I don't even know what he said. Cause it's been, that was 2016. It was about a month after we moved whenever these emails started. So it's been a long time, but he was apologetic whenever I said I was calling the police, like he didn't want me to get the police involved. But, um, so over time, this is, this is like an extremely lengthy, detailed situation that I just cannot remember all of the details for. Um, there were so many emails that came things like the LuLaRoe, I like the black dress. And I did not understand where he got that information from. Um, I looked on my like social media and was like, I don't see a black dress post. Like, I don't even know if I own a black dress, but he would send little things like that throughout the years. This went on from 2016 to 2019 is whenever I finally figured out who he was. Um, but he stayed anonymous for three and a half years. Um, but it got worse and worse. So like I said, time went on, it was like, um, I think it was 2017 or 2018 on like Christmas Eve, there was one particular email that was just like a light switch went off and it was completely just opposite of what he had been behaving like instead of just commenting on my looks and asking like if we could hook up or asking um if I would send him naked pictures for money is how it kind of he stuck with that because he realized I wasn't going to like meet him and hook up and I don't know who he was anyway but that email for on on Christmas Eve I think the topic was Merry fucking Christmas. And then he went on to say like, ho, 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 I'm Santa Claus. I'm going to break into your house, slide down your chimney, tie you up and rape you. And like, it was very descriptive. That's not a quote, but it was very, very descriptive. It was like a deep, dark fantasy of what he wanted to do. And like, I personally, when I read that email, I was just taken back because you don't know what somebody really wants to do. Is it a fantasy? Is it something that they like just think about doing or is it something that they would act on if given the opportunity? I didn't know. I didn't know who he was. 
still. So I don't know. I, I just remember like getting super, super creeped out and feeling like worried and looking over my shoulder. And I was already looking over my shoulder anyway, just because I didn't know who he was. And by this time I had, I think I had filed a police report uh, in 2016. And then the first um, initial response of the officer was like, this must be a scam. That's what it sounds like to me. And I argued just blatantly was like, um, excuse me. No, that's not a scam. Like, obviously I need help. This is, is obviously not a scam. Um, and I don't really feel like he's going to stop. I mean, look at the information that he knows, uh, or whoever he, she, whoever this anonymous person knows, I don't think they're going to stop. And there's no way for me to do anything. I don't have like, um, tracing software like the police do and I need help and he said that um I want to say he said he would look into it and get back to me I don't remember exactly what he said because like I said it's been like I don't know how many years it's been now five years but um I never heard anything back felt like I wasn't taken seriously so then I um throughout that time period I think I felt like around four, maybe five police reports total. And each time I mainly was told that they can't do anything unless they have a name. And I was just completely appalled. I know I was appalled because I was like, but that's your job. That's your job to find the name. How am I supposed to find that? what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that's, that's one thing that I would really like to see changed in the, um, the police, uh, rules and laws is that you can't actually get help unless that person has already hurt you, you know, like unless they've already laid their hands or already raped or already broken into your house, unless the problem that you are worried about happening has already happened, you can't do anything about it. They won't do anything about it. So I was just extremely hopeless. I felt like you know, they weren't going to help me. I could never get away from this guy. And of course, by that time, I think it was like 2018 or, so, or maybe 2017. I'm not sure when he sent that Christmas email that I just talked about. I was way more scared at that point. And then after that, when I said like, it was like a light switch flipped on, um, the emails just changed tone like drastically after that, from that point on, it was like, um, you know, if you're not going to give me what I want, then I'm going to get what I want somehow. I'm going to do this and this and this. And, you know, he sent me more emails more frequently at that point. Um, and a lot of people told me, well, why don't you just delete your email address? Or why don't you just block his email? Um, I had one person comment on my Instagram and be like, why don't you just block it? And I'm like, it's not that easy. They're just going to make more emails. And he did. I blocked several of the email addresses that he made. He made more emails. Um, a couple of the emails that he sent them from, it was some kind of like Swedish platform that they have no responsibility for keeping records um, because they're not within the United States. So they didn't have to have his name or any kind of anything, no IP address. So even if they wanted to trace, even if the police would have helped, then they would have nothing to trace. So I thought that was ridiculous. Um, I'm pretty sure that's illegal anyway for him to use that from the United States. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure that's illegal for him to use that. But anyways, um, by, 
you know, after I had gotten that Christmas email and things got worse and worse, and I was told, of course, from the police that they couldn't do anything unless I got them a name and did their job for them. Um, I, as you can only imagine, was extremely mentally not okay. Um, and also, you know, I've got my own life going on at this time. Um, I'm a wife. And at that time, I had um, a daughter. And I, in January of 2017, we had our son, which was our second child. So I was a mom taking care of my kids. I was a wife. I was trying to work. Um, my mental health was suffering. I felt like I could never get away from this guy. And I was looking over my shoulder constantly. I never went anywhere by myself. Um, just, But it got worse and worse as time went on and as everything got more serious. Um, but I started trying to figure out who he was. So the way that I would do this was... I would like weed out everyone on my social media, like completely block and delete every single person that I didn't know personally. Like, and when I say personally, I mean like my cousin or my best friend, or even if like it was a friend that I went to school with that maybe her husband could have possibly gotten this information and be doing this behind her back. I would delete and block her too. It did not matter if I lost friends over it, just had to because I wasn't sure. But when I did this, I did this in like a strategic way where I would block one person and then not block the other person and then put out a bait Facebook post or Instagram post. And then if I heard back something like through email from him after I put that post, then obviously I'd block the wrong person, if that makes any sense. So there was one point in time where he had sent an email and uh, I had shared something on Facebook right before he sent this email and um, it was something like about depression because I'm a huge depression advocate, obviously. Um, and I think the email said something like depressed. Why are you depressed? And then it went on like, does your husband not do a good enough job? Like he would call my husband all sorts of names and say that he could do better. and You know, little boy husband and always was picking at, at my husband um, trying to make him look better. But like I was saying, you know, I, I shared the depression thing and then he took the bait and he emailed me, you know, cause he had seen that on Facebook where I shared it. So obviously I had blocked the wrong person. So eventually um, I had blocked every single person and like, I was only left with like 300 people, which may sound like a lot, but I think I had like a thousand friends at that point. And so all these people were like, my grandma, my aunt, my cousin, my best friend, my mom, my sister, my whatever, like it was all, or people I had graduated with that I just really did not think would do anything like this. So I did not feel like I could possibly block anyone else. Um, so eventually um, I got an email. I think it, it was 2019 by this point. Um, and I don't actually, let me back up really quick. So I was still trying to figure out who he was. And like I had said, I blocked every single person that I could think of. So my next step was, okay, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to try to get out of him. I'm going to reply because I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know what other option I have because the police aren't going to help. This is probably dangerous, but what else am I supposed to do? So I just played his game briefly for like a few hours and I emailed him asking for it would say things like, 
oh, like for some reason you can't keep a job. You obviously need money. Well, what's more important, money or paying your bills? Come on. Um, why is it so hard? And don't be like he'd call me a, a snob, but he would say it in different a different like way. He was old fashioned and would would say like different phrases that I'd never heard. And of course, this guy is um, I think he's like fifty six years old, and I'm twenty six. So there were there is a gauge age gap. So there are phrases that he said that I didn't know. Um, but he would call me things like um, I don't know if he called me sugar pants or sugar lips. I can't remember which one. But um, where was I even going with that? Oh, the emails basically they just like he had certain things that he would call me and certain things that he would say, and he would play games with me, um, to try to get me to like, when he would send me the, uh, the emails that would include personal information or any kind of like, he, he knew like secrets somehow that I'd only told a couple of people about things that had happened to me or things that I did that weren't like terrible things, but things that you weren't proud of, you know, like everybody has things they've done and aren't, they aren't proud of. And so I told like two people, yeah, I told like two people and he would email me these things and like blackmail me sort of like use them against me and say, I know you're not innocent. I know you've done this and this and this, and you know, um, you just need to send me these pictures and I will pay you for them. And you know, all these things. So, um, my whole point in saying all that was, that's where we're at is he's still asking me for pictures for money. So I re I replied to him and said, why would I send you pictures if I don't even know who you are? I mean, I don't know why I would want to send some random person pictures of myself if I don't even know who they are. That just, that should make sense to anyone. And he replied pretty immediately, probably shocked that I had even replied because I hadn't replied in like two or three years. Um, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but the conversation kind of went like this, you know, no quotes here, but um, he said something like, well, um, I don't know if I should tell you my name because if my name got out, I don't know that it would be very good for me. What if I'm married? And he wasn't married. I, I know that now he wasn't married the whole thing that he was talking about with his name getting out is that he was a police officer. He was a state police officer. And so obviously that would have been bad for him anyway, but especially because he was a state police officer or a police officer in general. Um, but I didn't know that then I just assumed that he was married and I don't believe in cheating or trying to get any kind of sexual, anything from anyone other than your spouse. So I was immediately angry and was like, how dare you do that to your poor wife? Why would I want to help you at all? And, you know, of course, when I had sent him the message that was like, well, you know, why would I send you the picture if I didn't know who you were? And I, I forgot to add this. Um, when I, when I responded and said that I had said after that, I said, well, if I knew who you were, maybe I would be more willing, you know, so I kind of played the game. So whenever he said, maybe I'm married and I said, oh my gosh, how dare you? I had backed up again. And so he tries to press on to maybe like steer me toward being maybe willing again, if that makes any sense. Like he screwed up by saying I'm married or I might be married and made me mad. And then he's like, oh crap, like I might've ruined my chance. I've got to try to talk her back into it. So 
um, I, like I said, I don't remember how, where, what all the, the conversation said, but I eventually did get a name out of him in that conversation. But I knew even when he told me what the name was, that it was fake. He said that his name was Sean Williams and that he lived in an apartment complex that I hadn't lived in. And that's how he knew me because blah, blah, blah. He worked in the oil field and lived in Texas and this, like he made up a whole story and I knew it wasn't true. I did not know a Sean Williams. Um, I looked it up on Facebook. There was no Sean Williams anywhere near me. I asked around, I asked all of my friends that lived in that same apartment complex. I asked all of my friends that I used to work with. I called the landlord and was like, Hey, is there ever been a Sean Williams that signed a lease there? Because I'm familiar with that landlord. I lived there for a while. He was friends of the gas station owners that I worked at. He knew me. He knew that I wouldn't be asking for any weird reason. And, but he had told me he had no record of that. Um, so I was like, well, that's great. This is a dead end. But anyway, um, I, I went to, uh, the police anyway, because they told me that maybe after they got a name, they could do something. So whenever I went to the police and told them the name, they were like, um, okay, well, you know, you filed the report here, but you need to go to the prosecutors. So you can actually like press charges. And so I was like, okay. So I went to the prosecutor and um, this is where it just makes me so much more angry because as if law enforcement didn't make me angry enough by not helping me at all, um, the prosecutor that I went to, you know, I filled out the affidavit and everything and submitted it to him. Um, I had to wait for a phone call, I think. And when we were on the phone, he had basically told me in so many words that, he wasn't sure how far we would get with this and that this was just a misdemeanor case. And there were felony cases that he had to work and the department doesn't get paid to work these types of cases and um, no offense, but you know, there's other cases that I've just spent my time on and I've got a stack of paperwork that I've got to go through and just kept on making these excuses. And I tried to be as professional as I possibly could and tried to be as cooperative as I possibly could, but in the end, I just kept getting more mad and more mad because in the process of him telling me all this, I'm still getting emails from this guy saying worse and worse things. And I'm having to like make copies of the emails that are still coming through and take them up to his office and give them to his secretary. And anytime that I would call or anytime that I would go up there, he was either on vacation or he was busy. And I even told the secretary, I'm like, look, like they told me I need to get a name. Well, I have a name now. So why is that? Nothing being done, you know. No, is so you know if it's not this guy, it's dangerous. If it's not him, is this guy dangerous? I mean, he's he's threatening me. He's acting like he is so determined to do this for three years that he's not ever going to stop. And in the process of all of this, you know, now that I have finally done what police have asked, and I thought that was going to be the turning point, like when I got the name everything was going to turn around. Everything was going to be fine. I was going to hand this to the police and they were going to say, yeah, we're going to get it figured out for you. But since that didn't happen, I was so disappointed. And so just felt so hopeless, so helpless, felt like I was never going to get away. And like, this guy was going to rape me and kill me at some point. And like, my family was suffering because of me. You know, like I said, I was married. I had two small children. My daughter wasn't even five years old yet. My firstborn wasn't even five years old, excuse me. And 
I felt like our lives had changed for the worse because of me, because this guy was after me. He was not after them. And so I started to get extremely depressed, extremely anxious, extremely paranoid, and just so cautious about everything that I did. Everywhere that I went, I told everyone that needed to know, like, about this whole situation. Like, I told um, my kids' daycare. I told the my work. I told my husband's work. I told just everyone that I could think of that where we might be if something happened and we had to have, like, an emergency plan to get out and get away or like, Hey, you know, I told daycare, Hey, if anybody calls and asks for information, you know, I know you're not going to give them information about me or about my kids, but just please tell me that someone has called because this is happening. And I need to know any clues that I could possibly know to be able to help me figure out who this is or just anything about this person. And so I felt like my entire life revolved around this. Um, And then there was one email that he had sent. Like I said, it just kept getting worse and worse. So at this point, um, this email was one of the worst ones that I got. And I wish I had it to read it to you, but it's currently at an attorney's office. He's making copies of it right now. And then I'll get them back. So I don't have them right up, you know, next to me. But um, let me think for a second. He's still asking me for pictures at this point. Um, he said something like, uh, before that he had said, this is getting old. And then shortly after that, he said, like, um, why don't you just, you know, give up and send me what I want? Because I'm going to get the pictures either way, even if I have to come over to your house and, um, I don't know if he like was saying, take pictures of this happening or take pictures and then do this, but he was saying, take pictures and um, I'm going to make you moan and scream and you're probably not really going to like it. And it was a lot more descriptive than that, but that was what they used in the affidavit because that that was the more threatening um, portion of the email, basically saying he was going to rape me without using the word rape. And When I got that email, I was extremely alarmed. I think I was even at work at that point when I received it. And I left work like in a frenzy and went to the prosecutor's office with the printed email and gave it to them and said, okay, you know, this is getting really bad. Um, You probably need this copy if, you know, if you're going to do anything about it. Um, Can something be done now? Because this is definitely a threat. Um, But like I said, he was on vacation whenever I went up there and they said they would tell him whenever he got back from vacation. And I, I don't know. It just kept getting worse and worse. My mental health. Um, there came a point where, um, I had some extremely dark thoughts and felt like if I were to commit suicide, maybe my family wouldn't be suffering anymore. And a lot of people, don't understand the suicide thing. They don't understand, like, they say, why could you be so selfish? Why would you leave your children and your husband like that? But unless you've been through it, it's really hard to understand why you would think that way. But sometimes it's, it takes a lot more strength to live than it does to just die. Um, and, and when I was feeling that way, my logic was like, you know, like I said, if, 
I was to die, then he would have no other motive. What would he, who would he harass? Because I would be gone. And then maybe my kids could play outside, you know, like maybe I wouldn't have to do sweeps of my home with my pistol every time that I came home while my kids are locked in the car. Like that's how my life was at this point. I couldn't even breathe. My, my mind was in fight, fight or freeze mode constantly. I could not be intimate with my husband because I felt like his eyes were on me. I felt like his hands on my body. I would have nightmares about him. And it was just literally awful. I would not wish that on any, any person in the entire world. And so I told my sister, because I'd actually, like, I was to the point where I had actually made a plan and I didn't know what day I was going to do it, but I knew how I was going to do it. I knew what room I was going to do it in. Um, I knew what time of day it would be. And I told my sister, I was like, I don't want to do this, but I don't feel like I have any other way. I need help. Like if this, if, if, if I'm going to be able to even get through life any further today, I have to get help today because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to be here. And she called and made me a therapy appointment. And I drove directly after that. I dropped my kids off at school and I went to um, a doctor, like a walk-in clinic and was like, look, I'm going to commit suicide. I need help. Like, I don't know what to do. And thankfully they didn't admit me into an inpatient facility or like take my kids because I worried about that. But I told myself that like, okay, if they did either of those things, at least, you know, I would know that they were safe and I'm safe because I told someone. Um, So I took a paper prescription, I believe it was to the pharmacy and got on um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety immediately which was great. Um, she gave me like, I think she gave me like Xanax for just until the Zoloft kicked in, I think is what it was. And then my therapy appointment was in like two weeks. Cause they just had like a waiting period for new patients, but therapy saved my life. My sister making that appointment for me and taking that first step for me saved my life because I could not do, I could not call and be like, Hey, I need help. The only reason why I was even able to physically go and drive myself and go into the doctor is because I knew that if I did not do that today, and if I drove home by myself without my kids, I don't know what would happen because I didn't want to be alone. My husband was at work. You know, I didn't want to be alone. I didn't want it to be the day that it happened, you know? So literally my life was saved therapy. I will just be an advocate for therapy for until the end of time. Um, but I was in therapy for about a year. Um, and this was, you know, I think it was 2019 by this time. Sometimes I get my timelines jumbled up because it just seems like such, like I sometimes in that moment, I knew information and, um, there was information that was happening, like things that were happening. And then later I found out that those things were happening. So my timeline just gets jumbled. Um, but basically after all of this, whenever I got on the antidepressants and anti-anxieties and I started going to therapy, I was still trying to figure out who this was. Um, and nothing came from the Sean Williams thing. Nothing came from the prosecutor. I never even heard back like at all. I don't, I don't even think that they called me at all. Um, and I like, I I just gave up eventually, um, on the prosecutor. 
because honestly, I believed anyway that it was a fake name. So where was it going to get us? So um, I think I filed one or two more police reports with the uh, sheriff's department in the county that I live in away from the prosecutor, you know, um, <clears throat> and I just like told them, hey, like, this is what's going on. This is the most recent email that he has sent. The prosecutor's not doing anything about it. Um, I don't know what to do. Like it's to the point where uh, my life is in danger and that's pretty clear. So my husband actually got like kind of upset with me um, because I was so obsessed with figuring out who this was. And he had told me to just delete my email and forget about it in so many words. And I said, um, excuse me, like I was offended. How am I supposed to forget about this? Um, this is something that is, this could potentially kill us, you know, how am I supposed to just forget about this? That do you not see like the effects that this has had on me and all of us? If I don't figure out who this is, who is going to figure out who this is? Not the police, not no one, you know, this is, I'm the only person that I have. And so, you know, the whole Facebook thing, I was still trying to figure out like, who can I block strategically? Who can I, you know, uh, bait into emailing me and figure out who it was? Well, um, eventually I had decided, okay, since he is so determined and so obsessed to do this for this long, if I delete my email address completely, then maybe he will find another way to contact me. No, I don't want him to find another way to contact me because that might need come to my house or something, come to my work. But then at least I could see his face. So fully prepared for that. Um, I say fully prepared. I wasn't, I never would be prepared, but prepared as much as I could be, you know, with guns or whatever else, pepper spray, whatever else I had. Um, and people walking to me to my car at work and never going at anywhere at night or anywhere by myself ever. Um, I went ahead and deleted my email address. And I think that was like at the end of summer, 2019, I may be wrong, but I think it was about right after Christmas, he mailed a letter to my PO box and I got it on November 30th. I believe it was of 2019, went and checked the mail. My kids were at school, went and checked the mail. And when I saw the envelope, I just like my heart went into my throat and I felt like I was going to puke. My anxiety was through the roof. I was shaking, trying to open it because I knew who it was. It was addressed to um, me and it said uh, it was from someone, you know, was who he called himself in the return and the return address. This is where he screwed up. The return address was an apartment complex that I had lived in. And like 2013, this was, um, when was that? How long is that? 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So it was six years prior. And I was thinking, how would anyone know that? Who would know that? Like, I didn't even remember that address. That was my very first home that my, myself and my husband lived in before we were even married, because we got married in 20, in December of 2013. So we lived there in like the summer of 2013 and we're in 2019 now. So I was thinking like, how could he, you know, have known that? And in that moment at the post office, I just kind of like something clicked in my mind. And I thought this has got to be someone with the police. This has got to be somebody that knows 
the addresses of people. Personal information has some sort of access to a database that can bring up information like this. And I think that maybe that address may have even been on my, um, my driver's license at one point. So um, I immediately, I went home from the PO box or from the post office and I started writing down like all the reasons that I thought that it might be this person that I was thinking of, which was Mark Holland. And I'll kind of tell you like, first of all, let me tell you like what was on the letter. Um, I think, I think I even still have the letter, but it's somewhere. I don't know where it is, but basically it was just saying like, um, look, like, I know you're really, uh, like I, I'm really infatuated with you and I think you're really hot. And, um, I don't know why you wouldn't just send me these pictures and here, you know, here's the email addresses, just give yourself a break and do it. I mean, just come on, you know, just kind of like trying to push me into doing it, but it was almost like he knew that I had deleted my email address and he was upset about losing that line of communication with me. So now that it reminds me of when I said in the very beginning, I'm going to call the police. And then he's like apologetic all of a sudden. It was very narcissistic and manipulative in that way where he would come back with a response that was apologetic or that was like soft-spoken or um, just pushing me back, trying to pull me back in before he completely lost communication. Um, But anyway, so, um, you know, as I had said in the beginning, and I know I'm scattered, I apologize. Um, Mark Holland was the brother of my boss at the gas station. So he was the officer that I would talk to, you know, just about every day. So in my mind, I was thinking it, it has to be Mark. It has to be. But I don't want it to be because I don't believe he would do something like that. I don't believe that he would do something like that to anyone, especially someone like me, who I felt like was like close to him, you know, somebody that I trusted, um, somebody that I felt like we had like a good relationship, you know, and, but at the same time, I was talking myself, I was talking myself out of it, but at the same time I was like, but it has to be, who else could it be? Who else would know this address? So I just wrote down like, you know, reason number one was um, because he would have access to NCIC and ACIC and he would know this address. And then I think I had like 11 reasons why I thought that it was him. And one of the other reasons that was on there was um, like I had told you, there was things that I had told like one or two people and told no one else. And I had told his girlfriend that because she was my best friend at the time at the gas station. So I told his girlfriend, one of those things that I was ashamed of, that I didn't want anyone else to know, but I told her and I thought, okay, she must've told him like, that's the only thing I can think of. I even asked like a couple of people that like had participated in those things that I had done that I was ashamed of and was like, Hey, did you tell anybody? Like, I'm not mad at you. I just need to know if you did and who you told, because that could be the person, you know, before I figure out who it was. Um, but there was only a certain amount of people that knew. And, you know, if, if Mark knew, he also like, he fit the description of like, um, he had all of these common denominators, if that makes any sense. Like he knew the information, he knew the secret, he knew this, and he was around when this, and you know, so basically just had to put the clues together. So I went to the police department 
And I gave them that um, piece of paper and they made a copy of it. And I was like, look, um, this is who I think it is. Look, I'm sorry if it's not him, but I don't know who else it could be. And I'm not getting any help. And I explained like how many times I've been there, what the prosecutor said to me about it being a misdemeanor thing and that I was not leaving until something was done because this is obviously not going to stop. If he's sending a letter to my mailbox, he's the next step is come to my house or show up to my work. It, this is not going to stop. And so I think they took it more seriously because I was accusing an officer of doing something. If it was just like a normal person, I don't think they would have taken it as seriously, which I mean, could be a good thing or a bad thing, but it was kind of like a long drawn out process with like, you know, I had to file the report and then the captain had to call me and then this person had to call me. And then I had to go do an interview with the special agent with the state police. And he like recorded the interview and was like, why do you think it's him? And tell me the story. And I just need to know, like, I'm not, I'm on your side. Like, I just need to know so that I can put all the pieces together and figure this out. And so I think I want to say from the time that I filed that report and was like, hey, I think it's him to the time that he was arrested. It was a total of like five days, which was not long. And I was so mad, though, whenever the reports came out with the news, they were like, oh, my gosh, the police did such a great job um they figure this out so fast and I was like no but you know and that's another reason why I want to share my story is because you know I people don't understand number one how long it took and number two like um do the police's work for them I handed them the case and was like here this is what it is go arrest the guy you know um and so I, I, I need to get out that part, like my side, so that people know it took a freaking long time. It had this much impact. People will never understand. But just to give them, you know, any kind of, you know, inkling of what the impact may have been. Plus, I mean, there have been a lot of people already that have reached out to me and been like, oh my gosh, your story resonated with me because blah, 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 blah. And, you know, now I'm inspired to go tell this person or tell the police about what happened to me. Or, you know, I was amazed by the impact um, by, you know, sharing my story. I was amazed by just people that reached out to me. But there are tons of reasons why I want to share my story. But anyway, um, I forgot where I even was in the whole thing. Oh, he was arrested. Um, my the special agent with the state police, he called me uh, that fifth day or whatever. And um, he told me and my husband, go in this room and shut the door away from the kids and put me on speaker. I need to tell you both something. And so he said, it was Mark. He admitted everything. And my jaw just dropped. The breath left my body. I could not believe that like, it felt like, okay, all the guessing was finally over. We finally knew who it was. Um, just, I was completely in shock and just had a hard, hard time in concentrating on anything that he even said at that point. Um, but he said that, um, he did and, um, he did it like, like thinking, um, maybe he thought he was in like administrative trouble, not legal trouble. So if he was honest, maybe he would get like a lesser punishment, but they put him on like a leave, um, um, I guess, administrative leave or whatever. And then <clears throat> when they were going to 
take him to be arrested, he resigned like right before he was arrested. So he was, uh, well, he was, I think he was at the police force for 19 years. I think it would have been like one or two more years and he could have gotten the pension or whatever. I don't remember exactly how that worked. Somebody explained it to me, but I don't remember how it worked. But anyway, he resigned. And um, since he wasn't fired, he supposedly got to keep all that. Um, so that's pretty infuriating. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty infuriating. But when he went to jail, his bond was set at $5,000, which I thought was extremely low. Um, there was somebody else that I saw that got their bond was like $500,000 for something, but it was like, oh, this person actually touched that girl. So they have $500,000 with this person that threatened to touch this girl only has $5,000, which made absolutely no sense to me. But, um, he bonded out within about 45 minutes, just long enough for them to book him. And then he was free until, um, so this was like December 18th of 2019. And then he did not go back to jail until I believe it was August 31st of 2021 this year, just a couple months ago. So he was free for that long. And I still worried every single day and watched my back for, for this man to come and hurt me because in my mind, I thought, well, you know, he could be, you know, messed up mentally. I mean, people have trauma that happens to them. And if he is feeling like this is the end of his job, the whole town, why, what, hey, well, he might end up come killing me. So long story short, like I said, it's an extremely long story, even from 2019 to 2021, whenever he was arrested, long story short, um, during this time, whenever I was going through all of this, I started writing a book just to like document everything and figure out like what, how can I tell my story? Because I had to be quiet for this long. Like when they told me, Hey, it's Mark. They were like, you can't tell anyone. I mean, you can't, it might mess with the case. You know, you can't tell anybody and you can't defend yourself basically. Um, so there was people on Facebook that knew him in the small town and was like, oh my gosh, there's no way he would do this. I can't believe that. He must've been prompted. She must've brought it on herself. She must've asked for it. She, this, she, that, and I could not defend myself. So I basically looked like a whore to the whole town. The affidavit was out. So my name was on it. It was released first and last name to the newspaper in the town that I lived in, not even his town, but the town that I lived in, the local newspaper released my first and last name to the public with all of this stuff. And I could not even defend myself. I had people messaging me, asking me what was going on. I couldn't even tell them anything. Even people that were my friends, I couldn't tell. Um, but anyway, so long story short, I was writing this book and when he was arrested on August 31st, like, you know, that was our court date. So he went to prison on August 31st and I finally was able to release the book. And I finally just shared all over social media and was like, look, this is what I've been going through for this long. I can finally get it out. Here's the book. You can go read it. I'm just, I, I just couldn't, it was like a weight lifted off of my shoulders, but the whole thing with the, um, him going to prison. So the, I wanted him to get like 27 years because he had originally, I didn't mention this. He had 27 charges originally. So it was, I think it was, 
25 counts of misuse of ACIC and NCIC. There's so many details to this that's just, it would take hours and hours and hours to just say everything. But there are, you know, the affidavits where they have more information on the online and stuff, but it says specifics on there on the amended affidavit. And um, the special agent that wrote it, he specified like, okay, he searched your name at this time, at this day when he was sitting in this place. And um, he searched your husband's name. He searched your father-in-law's name. He searched your stepmom's name. He searched your, this car, this car, this car, this address. And most of the time when he was searching these things, he was sitting at the end of the road that I lived on. He was just sitting there, like literally not even a mile from where I was. And he had talked about, you know, coming in. And so I had seen a couple of times thinking back, I had seen out the window or, you know, if I was outside with my kids or coming in, you know, I had seen a state trooper car pass by right in front of my house several times. And so, you know, looking back, it's like, whoa, you know, big eye opener. But he originally had 27 charges. So I wanted like, you know, a year per charge. I thought that was fair, but he wouldn't go for that. And, you know, they had the whole COVID thing and um, the court system was way backed up. Um, And so they were basically saying, if we wait for this to go to trial, number one, it's probably going to take forever. And obviously we're ready for this to be over because it had been like 20 months since he was originally found out. And um, they said also, if he goes to jury trial, there is always a possibility that they will find him not guilty at all, which probably wouldn't happen, but it could happen, you know, and I was not willing to take that risk. Um, So they said, well, we can figure out if we can do some sort of like plea deal. And so I said, okay, well, let's figure it out. Well, like I said, I wanted like 27 years. He wouldn't go for that. So the lowest that I would go that he was willing to take was 10 years, which I am so dissatisfied with just in all honesty, because I felt like he deserved closer to 30. But at the same time, the fact that he's in prison and that he's an ex-cop, probably going to have one heck of a time in prison. So I kind of like smiled to myself about that a little bit. Just, Just it makes me feel a little bit better. But, you know, he probably won't serve that entire 10 years. They say that they serve, what, like a third of the time that they actually, you know, especially if they get out on good behavior or whatever. But the day that we went to court, um, the judge gave him an opportunity to say whatever. I don't know if they do that in every situation or not, but... Like at the end, he's like, do you have anything you want to say to her? My husband said that he more than likely, he probably said, hey, say you're sorry or don't say anything. Don't incriminate yourself further, you know. So he said something like, "Um, I just want to tell everybody that I'm sorry and I hope that one day I can be forgiven. And I just was like, really? Do you even know what you've done? I mean, no, no. (laughs) Um, As much as I would like to say I could ever forgive him there are lasting effects. Like I still, even to this day, even though he's in prison, it is such a habit for me to be like, um, oh, um, it feels like somebody's watching me. Like I'm standing here in this window and I have to like close the window because I feel eyes on me or I feel like somebody's following me whenever I'm driving, but he's in prison. Who else would be following me? You know, like my mind comes up with all these like super weird 
obviously anxious scenarios of things that could be happening that aren't even happening, almost paranoia that it's caused. Skylar has written a book called Thrill Sought, and I highly recommend everybody to purchase that on Amazon. I bought the book and I have read it since interviewing Skylar, and she did such an amazing job with the book. I am sure there are some of you out there listening to Skylar's story who can relate to what she has went through. Like I said before, I went through my own stalking situation at just the age of 17, and listening to Skylar talk while we were on a Zoom call, I had felt everything that she had felt. She is an amazing woman for being able to share her story because there's only a select few people who I have shared my situation with. Skylar, I commend you for sharing your story. You are truly an amazing woman. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share your story. If you haven't already, I highly encourage you to join a Cremaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram where I will have pictures of Skylar and her beautiful family and more information about where you can purchase her book. Until next time, Crimeaholics, as always, be aware and take care. <music>